How are CEOs dealing with massive change right now? Well, who better than Lorenzo Simonelli, Chairman CEO, Becky Hughes, actually can answer to that in this episode that we recorded last year, but want to repurpose because it was so, so great. I just want to share my conversation with Lorenzo where we expand on C-suite leadership beyond skill and expertise, how evolving organization to keep pace with change, addressing also cultural change and transformation, and then the managing communication effectively across diverse group, you know, in a company. So stay with me. So it's a repurpose, but it's so great. So I think this conversation requires and needs another listening. So stay with me. You're going to love this show. Welcome back to a new episode of the World Class Leader Show. And uh, as I told you uh, in the last episode, today we start a new season. It's essentially season two of the podcast. And we have a very specific focus for season two is actually talking to brilliant and successful CEOs. And, uh, and you know, what is the best that we can do today is actually interviewing one of the most well-known, at least, CEO in the energy industry and is Lorenzo Simonelli. Lorenzo, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Andrea. Great to be with you. Awesome. So just to give you a little bit more idea of who is Lorenzo, if you are not much into the industry. So Lorenzo is a chairman and CEO of Becker Hughes, an energy technology company that combines innovation, expertise, and scale to provide solutions for energy industrial customers worldwide. And Lorenzo was named chairman of the board in October 2017 and has been president and CEO since the company creation in 2017, when actually he oversaw the successful merger of General Electric Oil and Gas with Becker Hughes. And since 2013, he served as a president CEO of GE Oil and Gas. And not just that, because previously Lorenzo served also as a president and CEO of GE Transportation, and before CFO of Americans for GE Consumer and Industrial, as well as general manager for product management of GE Appliance, uh, Lighting, Electrical Distribution Motors. So that was incredible, amazing. So Lorenzo started essentially um, in GE uh, through a financial management program in 1994. And now he currently serves as well on the board of many companies. He's originally like me from Italy, from Tuscany. He's graduated from business economics uh, in Cardiff University in South Wales. And now at the moment he resides in Houston. Although I think Lorenzo, you are in Italy today. Is that correct? Yes, I'm in Florence today. So I'm actually uh, at our site here in Firenze. Amazing. So fantastic. So Lorraine, so the first question I would like to ask you is probably something that you expected already. So you have such an incredible fast track career. So you are relatively a very young CEO, but you achieve so much in your, in your time. And I really want to understand maybe from a first question, what has been maybe your secret? And let's remind to the, to, to the audience that at 35, you actually became, if I'm not mistaken, the youngest ever division chief and first on American um, to run GE Transportation. So one of the, honestly, the youngest GE leaders in the world. So is there any secret source? What is, you know, in a, in a nutshell, you know, your secret, Lorenzo? Andreas, you, you're flattering me and uh, there's definitely no secret and I think um, it's really down to a lot of uh, hard work, also a lot of commitment, and also having good people to give you advice and to mentor you as you go through your career. 
I can say that I've been very fortunate. Uh, since I started my career, uh, firstly at Mitsubishi Bank and then afterwards with General Electric, I've had individuals that have been open to being my champions. Mm. Now, that comes with also dedication on my side and delivering on commitments and also excelling at the work that I'm actually producing day to day, but then also building relationships and having clarity on what I want it to be. I uh, started out in finance with a clear view of going into operations, and I always uh, wanted to become a CEO, and I had an affiliation with uh, the oil and gas business from an early age. So I've been very fortunate that the people around me have helped support me, helped guide me, and that's people that I've worked for as well as people that have worked for me. And I think uh, one of the most important traits of being a leader is that you're willing to take feedback from all the different constituents, all the different stakeholders around you. And uh, that makes you a better person as you continue to, to grow and lead. Yeah, that's awesome. So uh, first of all, you mentioned something very important to me that is importance of a team. So I, I not, honestly, I never met really a successful CEO that didn't really rely on the quality of his team actually to produce the incredible results. So that's, that's great. And the other thing about the feedback actually is very interesting because normally when you, at least based on my experience, when you go, when you move up to the ranks, the number of feedback, the quality of feedback normally decrease, right? Because you, I, I'm not saying that you feel completely lonely or isolated, but we know the CEO normally, you know, they feel that way, at least, you know, in some moment of, of their, of their tenure, right? So, I think your ability to ask for feedback, regardless your status, your role, and your leadership responsibility, I think is just amazing. You mentioned something interesting, and that's actually I was going to ask you too. So you have essentially finance and economics background, but you, you said earlier that you, know, you wanted since the early days to move into operations and you were attracted by the, the energy or the, the oil and gas industry. So how did a guy from a financial economic background survive in an industry that to some extent is quite conservative, right? Because we, at least we've been used to, you know, got used to see leaders coming from a very technical background from operations. So did you, do you think that was actually an added value, not being necessarily a technical guy or actually, you know, he brought some potential challenges along the way? So, Andrea, I think it's important to always rely on your key attributes and your strengths. And uh, mm -hmm. if you go back to my career progression, I learned very early on that uh, I could use finance as a foundation and the ability to understand numbers, but then have to create a team around me that would help me on the commercial side, help me on the technology side. And by no means am I an expert when it comes to engineering. But I think... Mm. I'm willing to learn and I'm willing to challenge and be open-minded. And I think um, for all of the aspiring leaders out there, one of the things you find as you go through your career is you start out being very much an individual contributor. Hmm. And you look to do everything yourself. When you get to a leadership role, you learn very quickly, you can't do everything by yourself. And in fact, it's the development of the team around you with the skill sets that are needed to run a successful company. And what you're doing is actually connecting the dots, connecting yes. the aspects of bringing people together, being able to make decisions, 
being able to drive forward. And that's where a foundation of finance helped me with a role that I experienced in financial planning and analysis, which allowed me to bring the metrics that are operational in line with the financials. And so I clearly got visibility to how the machine actually works. And it's not just about producing the numbers, it's how you produce the numbers. And that's why I was so interested in getting into operations and also getting into being a CEO, the aspect of making something and then seeing the results of it in the financials. Yeah, amazing. And I love I actually how you describe it. Because one of the mistakes actually I've noticed quite a few times in some CEOs is actually that the fact that they built the team um, with people that, very, that were very similar to them. So I'm not saying necessarily the yes men, but this idea of similarities, because you know we normally spend good time with people like us. And I see many CEOs actually fail by building a team that too much close to who they are and similar to her. And, and, and I think they're making actually this service to themselves and to the organization. But as you describe, I think you build a team that's very diverse. that's going to help you actually to become better in what is supposed to be your weakness. That's correct. Very much so. And, um, you know, when you think of attributes, again, self-confidence is important. Uh, self-confidence within yourself and your own ability to accept feedback and also acknowledge that you're not always right. And also the ability to navigate ambiguity and change. I think one of the struggles that um, aspiring leaders have is managing ambiguity and consistent change. If you're going to be a good leader today, change is constant and actually looking at ambiguity as a strength because it allows you then to make clear decisions as well. And that's what people are looking for. They're looking to follow a good leader that is decisive, that actually makes decisions that are based on also inputs that are received. So managing ambiguity, managing change, and having a team around you to contradict you, to be able to challenge you is very important. At the end, I am a big advocate for diversity, equity, inclusion. And if you're gonna make the best decisions, you need to have the global cultures exhibited in your team and also the diversity of thought. And that's very important. If you just have a homogeneous team, you're likely going to make the same mistakes as you go forward. I like to have a team that actually challenges me and is willing to come to the table and ask the questions and let's debate, but let's also be decisive in the decision. And when we make a decision, not everybody needs to agree but we all need to be aligned to that decision and move on. Yeah, one, fantastic. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I think that is an, is an incredible approach. All right, so I actually would like to go back to change maybe a little bit later because I think it's something very interesting, but actually lead me to to the next question is really much about Becca Hughes because you operate right now, Lorenzo, in one of the most interesting area actually across all industry, which is really energy, the energy transition. And you come from a very traditional company. So as, as Becca used was before, but now the industry is really under a big uh, earthquake, as I always say, you know, it actually is, is probably more than that. It's a tectonic shift talking about geology. So how, what is your role right now? I mean, we know of course what the CEO is supposed to do and what he's doing, but 
what what is the big picture of Baker Hughes considering all the uncertainty, all the changes interest is facing every single day with really lack of clarity or probably where he's going to go or he's going to be maybe the next five, 10 years. So what is the main challenge for SEO leading this incredible transition? Andrea, it's a great time to be in energy. And as I look at my experience in energy, I look at the future decade as really being one of the most exciting because there is a fundamental tectonic shift and transformation that is occurring within the energy landscape. Mm -hmm. And when you think about the progress that's been made in the last 130 years of economic growth, it's thanks to energy. It's thanks to the abundance of energy and the ability to take energy and be able to manufacture, be able to take people from poverty into the middle class. And now it's got to evolve and transition to the next energy mix as well. And when I think of industries that have such an impact like energy, I think of food and healthcare. And these are the three industries really that have fundamental impact on populations at large. Within energy, today we are going through what is a trilemma, affordability, sustainability, and security, given the events that we've seen within the Ukraine and uh, the Russia conflict in Ukraine. And at the same time, the world needs more energy. If you look at the consumption through population increases, if you look at the development of countries taking place in Southeast Asia, in Africa, there is a huge increase of energy demand And so how do we make it affordable, sustainable, and secure? That is the energy trilemma that we as Baker Hughes are actually tackling for our customers and for our partners. And we look at the solution being energy technology. So we call ourselves an energy technology company, which is founded across two key areas. One the traditional hydrocarbons, the traditional oil and gas, which, Mm -hmm. again, many people think that it's not going to be used. It is going to be used. And it is one of the key aspects of the energy mix. At the same time, we need to continue to make it cleaner and less impact on the environment, subsequently climate change. So how do we drive efficiency? How do we drive lower emissions? And let's not focus on the fuel but let's focus on the emissions of traditional hydrocarbons and continue to bring that down. At the same time, there is no doubt that there is a need to continue to expand the energy mix. And that means looking at new ways in which we can help the energy transition and the net zero goals that our customers and partners have. That means continued development of natural gas, Mm -hmm. continued views on growth in LNG, the usage of carbon capture, utilization, and storage, the hydrogen economy becoming a reality, as well as then other forms of energy mix and storage for clean integrated power solutions. So there's never been such an exciting time to be in the energy sector. And Baker Hughes has positioned itself as an energy technology company to help our partners, customers in their journey towards net zero. 
And I feel that I feel that passion and and momentum that actually industry is facing. I was I was like you actually. We we didn't meet there, but in Gastec a few weeks ago, I was speaking there, and for the first time, believe me, I don't know what that was your feeling too. I felt it's such a big emotion of being there. It's like something happened. So you know, maybe a new kind of a chemistry be- between players. So I see you know, energy leaders, they really want to be part of this transition. You know, they want to be part of this incredible change. But as you say, I think they are all feeling this such a huge sense of responsibility because, you know, we there are such a big targets and we need to contribute all together. So, Lorenzo, I would like to understand a bit more about, and of course you can share what, what you can share, but how you are essentially adapting the organization, the company to all this, as you also mentioned, tectonic shift that we are facing. Is it, there is a, in other words, there is a, some specific business model that works. There is something different that you think organizations, they need to, to, to make in order to make it more successful. Because I mean, we're talking about, I'm not saying a different industry, but really a different type of industry. So what, what is your take in terms of maybe lessons to share other leaders now they don't know what to do really in the organization? The first lesson is standing still is not an option and Mm. change is a constant. And as you see the world around you evolve, you have to evolve as well. We used to be four product companies. We are now two reporting segments. We used to view ourselves as oil field services. We're now an energy technology company that is focused on our own net zero pledge that we launched in 2019 to reduce our emissions by 50% by 2030 and be net zero by 2050. And also, we need to look at ways in which it's simplified the communication across the organization. Mm. Complexity, bureaucracy is hard on an organization. So it starts with clarity of strategy. And when we think about the strategy and the purpose statement we have at Baker Hughes, it's really to provide sustainable, affordable, clean energy to the world and the people. And then within there, we have three clear pillars, which are transform the core, which is doing what we do today better, more efficiently. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Invest for growth, which is areas where we're already present today, but are growing an accelerated pace, such as natural gas, LNG, the application of digital tools, And finally, new frontiers. What will be the solutions for tomorrow? What will be the solutions in the next two, five, 10 years? And that's where we're deploying capital to invest in hydrogen, to invest in CCUS, carbon capture, utilization, and storage, as well as other elements of the energy mix. Mm. The thing that is very important is you can have the best strategy. And we have a very clear strategy that is simple, easy to communicate. Then it's creating the culture within the company that fosters the ability of behaviors to actually execute that strategy. And it's much harder on the culture side than it is on the strategy side, because culture means changing behaviors of individuals that have worked the same way they have for many years. And they've got to change the way in which they work going forward. They've got to change the way they think, and they've got to address the market differently. And that's why collaboration and also partnerships are so important. Because as we face the energy trilemma, there is no one company that can do this by themselves. There is no one solution. It is going to be a melting pot of collaboration 
and different stakeholders coming together. And we play our part from an energy technology perspective. Yeah, and, and, and that's awesome. And uh, I have a question, though, about you know being able to to make that sort of transformation that you just defined. So you know, as we know, many transformational projects, especially those they are involving culture, as you as you describe, normally they I'm not saying always fail, but there is always a very high level of unfortunately, failure rate, uh, failure rate. And one of the reasons is either because there is a resistance or people they want to change, as you mentioned, because we're talking about behaviors. So what is in your personal experience, the, the secret sauce to make sure that this transformational initiative really work in organization? Because I mean, you are leading thousands of people and you, as we said before, probably most of them, they come from a very traditional business. Maybe they're not necessarily young guys. So how can you really make sure that people embrace new behaviors because maybe they feel fear, maybe they feel pressure, they feel more uncertainty because that's what normally what change normally brings on the table. So what is your you know, big ideas on this? So Andrea, I wish there was just one solution and a golden solution that everybody can apply. Uh, from my experience, you're gonna get some things wrong. So first of all, as a leader, you need to be clear and decisive in the direction that you're taking the company. Mm. And also acknowledge that 100% isn't going to work out okay. But if you're executing 70% or above 65 to 70%, you're doing better than most companies. And you do that by role modeling. And when right. I say role model, it means you have to be the person that exhibits the right behaviors all of the time because you're always being watched. You're always going to be second-guessed. And so you have to be the first to collaborate. You have to be the first to give a signal that if somebody isn't the right person in the organization, that they should leave the organization. Mm -hmm. You should nurture the aspect of change. And also, you should accept feedback, because you're not going to get everything wrong. But you have to start to mobilize the organization. And that is the key element that is important at the beginning is how do you mobilize change agents? How do you become a role model yourself? And it builds upon itself. Small successes lead to bigger successes and don't have an aspirational strategy that everything will be done overnight. Mm. Take it in phases. We embarked on this in 2019. We knew that it would take five to seven years to fully accomplish. And people in 2019 were probably thinking, we're not really moving. It takes some time, but you've got to be steadfast with the change, modeling the right behaviors, and also constantly anticipating and pivoting when you need to. I did not anticipate the pandemic. Yes. Whoever did, congratulations. <laughs> but it required us to pivot. Yes. It required us to change the way in which we work. I did not anticipate the conflict between Russia and Ukraine. It happened. We had to pivot. So the other aspect is fail fast, learn quickly, and move on and continue to move down the trajectory of the strategy you've laid out and exhibit the behaviors of the culture that you want within the company. Yeah, that's wonderful. I think we are so much aligned because I, I, I agree with you 100% to the, to the point, honestly, that when you said 
you know, SEO is a role model, actually is really the message there. So I always say to, to clients and people is whatever action that you take as a CEO has been judged, first of all, observed, then judged, but sometimes actually duplicated. So every single move actually normally has a 10 time impact on people. And we don't think about this as a leader, right? We think that, you know, an email sent at the time, you, you know, it won't really have such a big impact as unfortunately or fortunately sometimes actually have on people. So we have to be, you know, heavily involved and, you know, aware actually of what we do. And the second element about culture, I think that is incredible misconception across the industry, honestly, right, Lorenzo? Because we think that many actually think that culture is something quick. It's something, a kind of a quick fix. We can change the culture like this, but just because it involves behaviors, as we know, behaviors takes time actually to, to be changed. But unfortunately, many leaders, that's my personal experience. They actually don't want to change culture because they are concerned. It might take so long and they won't see any results maybe during the, the, their tenures, which I think is a big mistake because at the end of the day, I don't know what you think, but for me, uh, the, the one thing that every CEO has to think about is his legacy, right? So leaving something, as I always say, you have to leave something better than what you, what you had when you actually arrived in their in the position, right? Definitely. And um, look, that's the responsibility of being a CEO. I look at the heritage, the history, and the fact that I have the opportunity to lead a company that is 130 years old. Yeah. We have close to 54,000 employees in 120 countries. We have a cluster of families and communities that we're in. My responsibility is to make sure that we're here in 10 years, in yeah. 20 years. And so it's very important to be self-aware, be able to change and pivot, and also model the right behaviors. The other element, Andrea, I was going to mention, which I think is... Um, important for leaders is communication. Mm. And today, the attention span of employees, of individuals is very short because you have so many different pieces of news, emails, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, you name it, WhatsApp. And there is a constant stream of information that is coming to an individual. How do you perfect your communication so that it lands in the right place and it is simple and it is clear and it provides the direction? That is very important. And I think it's become a lot more complex today than it was previously. The role of being a leader is more challenging today because of all the externalities that are happening and, uh, you know, it's something that's very important from a communication standpoint. So I spend a lot of time with my communications team, number one, educating myself on the different mediums, but then also how can I most effectively communicate to the different generations, the different diverse groups that we have of employees, the employee resource groups, and that helps to carry the message and also drive the behaviors. Yeah, that's wonderful. And I, I honestly do believe that lack of clarity is probably the, at the top of the pyramid in terms of potential reason for failing. So lack of clarity is, is huge. So I, I'm so glad that you mentioned clarity as your, your main topic, your main 
areas of focus because that's really where everything actually starts. So I love that. So Lorenzo, you explained quite well, you know, where you are in the organizations, where you're eating to. So in terms of typical challenges of, of a CEO, right? So, so let's try to understand a bit more, you know, what, you know, you're facing right now, maybe what you face in the past. What do you think every other CEO must really pay attention to? You know, as a CEO, your responsibility is really to safeguard the future of the company mm. for the long term. Yeah. For the shareholders and also to the board, if you have a board. And how you do that is by empowering the day-to-day activities to the team that is going to execute those day-to-day activities, and then to provide the support for where the company needs to go. And that means a lot of my time is spent with customers, spent with external stakeholders, and then spent on evaluating the team Mm. and the people management of having the right individuals in the right places that are going to continue to take the company forward in the direction that we need it to go. And that's how I really break up my day is I start off in the morning with the international regions and listening to employees, as well as speaking to the stakeholders on a geopolitical basis, what's happening in the world, and then go into more of the customer interactions and also interacting with some of the more local teams. And I travel a lot. When you're present in 120 countries, you've got to be visible and clearly use technology such as uh, Teams or Zoom, et cetera. But there is no replacing for physically being at locations and being able to see the team on the ground as they're executing. And it means a lot to them. So, you know, I think the role of the CEO is really to set direction, be the cheerleader, anticipate changes, and then also make the right choices on people. I love that. And what's actually normally frustrates you most as a CEO, if you can share? (laughs) <laughs> I think if you were to ask that question, every CEO may give you a different answer. <laughs> you know, it depends what your strengths are and where your developments are as well as a CEO. And if a CEO tells you that they don't have development areas, they're probably uh, fooling themselves. Hmm. I think the, um, the toughest element is um, continuously, you know, evaluating people and making sure that you're treating everybody with humility, with respect, with decency but you're doing the right thing for the company as well. And, you know, when you're running a large organization, it really all comes down to people. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And the quality, as I always say, the quality of the team is going to really make a huge difference on the quality then on your outcome, essentially. Correct. So, so people is really your main, not only concern, but you're really your main, your, your main thought. In, in terms of what people normally don't know about SEO, because... You know, we know the, the, the typical challenge of a CEO, you mentioned uh, the, the, the legacy, the people, they make sure the people, they are empowered, they can execute, et cetera. And, and then, of course, make sure that the shareholders are happy, the employees are happy, and they're all working together. But what normally, if there is anything maybe that you, you think people don't know about the life of a CEO, something that normally is not shared you know, on the media or non people. And of course, CEOs normally don't, they, they don't share it with others, but there is, what, what, what may be something that we should know about a CEO that we don't normally know about? 
I think um, people assume that the CEO is always uh, going from place to place and uh, interacting and socializing or in meetings, making decisions. One of the key aspects for a CEO is also having quiet time Mm. and being able to focus and think through the broader aspects of what's happening to the company and think through the different stakeholders and through the lens of the different stakeholders. And for that, you do need focus time. And so I think what uh, people don't realize is the importance sometimes of a CEO not having a busy schedule, but empowering the teams and allowing them themselves the time to focus and to think about the future. And that's a key aspect of my week as well. Uh, I do have regular focus times during the day where I try and block myself out to say, okay, are we headed in the right direction? What do I need to concentrate on? How do I prioritize? And that helps me get ready for the challenges we have and also being clear in the direction that we're taking. Yeah, that's wonderful. It's really you know, finding a time to focus on the bigger picture, right? Because I think many CEOs, but not only CEOs, many leaders, unfortunately, you know, they, they are forced, you know, into the day by day, into firefighting on the operational side of the business, but they've, sometimes they tend to forget they have a bigger mission, a bigger picture. And not saying they forget about it, but just, they don't have time to do. I have some clients right now, they're so busy working on the business that they, they tend to forget what means being a strategic leader. So thinking about more strategically about their future. And unfortunately they pass that sort of bad behavior then to their own people, right? Because that's unfortunately, that is your behavior is being super operational driven and beyond, you know, in 24 seven in, you know, into operations, then you essentially you're giving a message to your team too, to be like you. Right. So I think you have to be very careful how you show up. Right. As we said before to the organization. Very much. And how you empower people and how you set clear roles, responsibility and accountability. At the end, it's very important to have clarity on accountability on who is responsible for what, who's meant to collaborate, who's meant to give input, but who is accountable. And it actually strikes me when I see some organizations, they don't have even have a proper organizational chart and clear roles and responsibilities and people get frustrated because they don't know who does what and then creates another level, level of, again, not just frustration, but then unfortunately uncertainty and then poor execution. So absolutely agree with you. Lorenzo, it's been great. I would like to ask you the, the last few questions just to understand a bit more about your, your personal journey, although we, we went through this. So is there anything that maybe you would have done differently in your career looking back at your story? When I think of that question, I always uh, remind myself it's important to go forward not backwards. And so, no, I wouldn't change anything. I've been very fortunate. I've learned along the way. And I think, um, you know, it's always important as a leader to continue to move forward and address the opportunities ahead versus uh, contemplate what could have changed in the past because the time machine hasn't been invented yet. <laughs> yes, I love that. You're, you're totally right. You're totally right. And on the other hand, what has been maybe your major learning? If you know, if we pick one, you know, across all your career, what is maybe one that you know is still with you every single day? Andre, I'll give you two. Okay, because I think they're both very important. The first is 
no matter how confident you are and how good you are as an individual contributor, you cannot do everything. And you will need a team that is with you, supporting you, and aligned with you at the same time willing to challenge you. And nobody should ever underestimate how important the team is to the success of any CEO. The second is the amount of change that I've seen in the last decades around the world is staggering and the pace at which the change is happening. So pivoting and being able to learn fast, fail fast, adapt is very critical. And I don't think the speed of change is going to decelerate. I think it's going to continue to accelerate. And so that ability as a leader to move quickly, be comfortable with ambiguity is very important. Yeah, I love that. Totally agree with you. All right. So I final question, Lorraine. So that's more my personal interest about what normally CEOs read, uh, if they do, and I'm, I'm sure that you do. So uh, first of all, whether is reading one of your passion, you prefer maybe you have a different ways to learn because we are all different. And if so, is there maybe one single book that really made a big impact on your life, maybe on your career too? So I spend a lot of time uh, reading periodicals and okay. also reading papers and staying very much up to date. And uh, I think uh, I'm an avid fan of using the apps that are out there that give you uh, new searches. When I think of a book, I go to um, really what led me to appreciating better the energy industry and mm. also the importance of energy. And it's a book by Dan Jurgen, The Prize, yeah. which really gives a sense of how important and influential the energy ecosystem is. And at a time like today, when we're challenged by the trilemma, it's always a good book to reference and uh, was a huge learning experience. Yeah, that's a wonderful book, by the way. So great suggestion. Lorenzo, thank you so much. It's been an uh, incredible um, conversation i think i really love every single piece of our chat i think you share some incredible insights and i love them all of them because first of all they're very practical and also based on your personal experience and so um, thank you so much for for sharing these insights with me thank you and uh, so where people should go if they want to know a little bit more about you but also about becca yukes so um, you can visit our website, uh, www.bakerhughes.com. And also we are uh, cleanly interested in uh, recruiting as well. So any aspiring leaders that are looking Perfect. for a new opportunity to be in the most exciting industry that I think is out there mm -hmm. and the way the energy transition is going to transform the world going forward. And as regards to myself, uh, please feel free to reach out uh, on LinkedIn I am uh, ever present there. And uh, if you're coming to one of the energy conferences, I'm sure we'll be able to meet up. Yeah. And guys, please follow Lorenzo because he shares so great things on LinkedIn. So very inspiring, but also he's engaged with comments. So he's there. So he's one of the few, honestly, CEOs, not just because you are with me, Lorenzo, but I tell you the truth. One of the few CEOs, they are not just posting good stuff, but also sharing and commenting and engage with people and not just sharing you know, the good things happening at the organization. So Lorenzo, thank you so much. It's been an amazing conversation. Andrea, thank you very much.